You're listening to The Zonecast, the number one source for independent, in-depth scouting and ranking of amateur hockey players in North America. Here is your host, Jashvina Shaw. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Zonecast. For this episode, my guest was Justin Goldman, who is the founder of the Goalie Guild. Justin is an expert in all things related to goaltending, and our focus of this episode was pretty much goalie development. So we talked for a very long time, which is why this podcast runs a little bit on the lengthier side, but we were just discussing a lot of different topics from myths and misconceptions to whether or not young goalies should be reliant on the butterfly. You know, what should goalies do? What shouldn't they do? When should players decide to to be goalie specific. How possible is it to project what kind of player a goalie will be in a few years down the road, which is pertinent to when you're drafting goalies? So Justin had some really great insight, and I think it's really valuable whether you're a fan, a player, a parent of a player, or a coach. Um, his background started he when he was in college. Colorado got a pro minor team, so he started covering them for his college newspaper, and he's been a goalie his entire life, so eventually he kind of just merged the two things, his passion of journalism and goaltending, and that's how the Goalie Guild was born. Um, He's written a few books. The Goalie Guild now provides scholarships. They have a camp of their own, so it's definitely a resource that I highly recommend checking out because Justin is really, really knowledgeable on these topics, and the Goalie Guild is wonderful. Um... And I'm sure that you'll figure it out from this interview that he really, really knows a lot of interesting stuff about goaltending. And I personally learned a lot, so I hope that you will also learn a lot. And without further ado, here's the interview. How did you form the Goalie Guild? 2008 is when I believe I actually first created the Goalie Guild. And back then, it was just like a blog. Like, it was just a really small little WordPress website where I would kind of post all of my different scouting reports on all the goalies that I was scouting. And um, I also created a Twitter account. Like way back then, I can't believe it's already been almost 10 years. But back then, nobody else was really tweeting specifically or writing specifically just about goalies. So I think, again, I got really lucky that I was kind of one of the first people out there to, you know, on a daily basis and on a nightly basis, you know, tweet about different NHL goalies and their styles and their techniques. And it was really easy to kind of get, you know, kind of gain a large following because, again, back then nobody was really doing this. So um, one thing kind of led to another and just kind of continued to grind it out and spend a lot of time kind of focusing on, on evaluating, you know, high-level goalies and college goalies here in Denver and that's how I ended up getting hired by NHL.com back in 2011 and also get the chance to do a lot of broadcasting for the Colorado Avalanche um, with their post-game show. So a lot of luck, um, a lot of fortune, but also really dedicated to my craft. And um, as a guy who completely obsesses over the goaltending position, like a lot of goalie geeks out there, I mean, it's such a unique position. It's so different than, you know, what you deal with Uh, when it comes to forwards and defensemen and the fact that back then nobody was really talking about it or sharing content or evaluating goalies specifically um, on Twitter or on social media I think I was very fortunate to be able to kind of trailblaze this quote unquote new 
career path as a goalie-specific scout or a goalie-specific analyst. So when you first started it, or I guess like within the first couple of years, what was the reaction that, like you mentioned, there are a lot of like goalie, quote-unquote goalie geeks out there and people who are like really interested in the position. So I'm curious as to like how, what the reaction was to the Goalie Guild when you first started it and how you kind of grew that base and that exposure because I know now you have like camps, you have, you've written books, um, there are scholarships that the Goalie Guild provides. So like how did you get from point A to point B? Yeah, I think... For me, the most important thing, whether you're, you know, in the hockey business or you're a journalist or you're a coach, I mean, anything involved with really anything, whether it's sports or otherwise, it's all about relationships. And it's not what you know, it's who you know. And so for me, the most important thing was just, like, I absolutely love meeting goalie coaches from anywhere in the world, especially from other countries because they're so unique. You know, they speak a different language. They train goalies differently. And so for me, I would just use social media not necessarily as a way to kind of promote what I was doing. I mean, of course, that's part of the goal. But it was also a way for me to connect with goalie coaches in all these different areas of the world. And before Twitter and before Facebook, I mean, it was really tough to find other goalie coaches that were extremely dedicated to, you know, developing their own craft or you know, training goalies at a high level. And goalie coaches have been around for a while now, obviously, but it was just extremely difficult to communicate with them um, on a, you know, on a really consistent basis and with a lot of ease. So I think as Twitter started to emerge and the goal, you know, the hockey community kind of emerged on Twitter, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I think it was around 2005, 2006. So this is right when I was coming out of college and really starting to, um, realized that I had a chance to make a professional career out of this. It was just, again, like harvesting these relationships and creating this great friendships with other goalie geeks, guys that were really interested in kind of learning and sharing ideas and techniques um, and scouting reports with guys all over the world. And so I think first and foremost, that was the biggest thing for me was just everyone out there kind of knew that even though I didn't play at a professional level or I didn't play, you know, D1 college hockey, I was extremely passionate about just learning as much as I possibly could about the position. Um, You mentioned that obviously you didn't play D1 hockey and you didn't play pro hockey, but a lot of people still respected your opinion because of the amount of effort you put into learning about goalie development. But were there instances where people use that to discredit you? Because I know that a lot of people now kind of, or, or you'll see a lot of instances where people are like, oh, well, you never played the game, so you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when people learned that I was born and raised on a horse ranch in Texas, I mean, I dealt with that um, my entire professional career. I still deal with it to a certain degree. Obviously, not so much because, you know, I'm not writing for NHL.com anymore and I'm not out there tweeting, you know, a bazillion times a day about every little thing that I see with every goalie that I see. But absolutely there are going to be you know quote-unquote haters out there and guys that will discredit you or not take your opinion seriously um but i always knew in the back of my mind that that was something i would always deal with because of my you know quote-unquote very untraditional background in hockey and it's never i mean there are times where you know you you feel it and you feel emotionally down and you question yourself but that's part of the process and whether you're a goaltender or, um, 
you scout goalies or you evaluate goalies or you train goalies, I mean, you're going to go through that and you have to be able to have some resiliency and realize that, again, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know and it's about cultivating the friendships and the connections that you make. And if you genuinely care about getting better and you're just passionate about something, then all of that stuff kind of, you can, it's easier to shrug that stuff off. And so, for me, again, um, I definitely dealt with it when I was first writing for NHL.com. And, you know, there were some guys out there that, you know, tried to purposely damage my reputation. But at the end of the day, it never really impacted me to the, to the point where I slowed down. Um, it just helped me realize that this is something that, you know, a lot of other people are dealing with the same thing. But the coaches out there that truly embraced my unique perspective and, you know, the way that I would write my scouting reports and the fact that I just kind of developed my own style, um, they appreciated that different perspective because the different perspectives that you have help shed new light on new ideas and help shed light on, you know, different ways of seeing things. And, you know, now we're at the point where the goalie community as a whole understands that there's many different ways to skin a cat there's many different ways to stop the puck effectively and there's no one perfect recipe for success and so the more perspectives that you have and the more ideas that you have and the more different voices that you have that's what drives the evolution forward for goalie development so that's something that's extremely embraced uh, or extremely well embraced in the goaltending community and part of what makes us such a unique kind of subculture in sports and in the hockey community is like we all understand we're going to have different ways of seeing things and different ways of teaching goalies but it's learning from those different voices um that makes that makes us better as a whole Mm -hmm. so now i want to go a little bit into the goalie development specifically so i think more and more now i feel like people on the outside and maybe teams as well are starting to realize that it's important to really focus just on goaltenders. I mean, obviously you look at the pro level, you look at the college level, you do have goalie-specific coaches. But I, I guess like for anyone who still doesn't believe that goalies, I don't, I don't, I feel like there are people who still believe that you don't need to have goalie-specific development. What would you say that about why it's important to have that? Well, goaltending is the most important position in hockey, and I know I'm extremely biased <laughs> when I say that, but I think there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of resources out there and there's a lot of information out there that kind of points to the importance of, you know, having good quality goaltending and not just one or two goalies, but you need like a, a whole system of goalies that are continuing to evolve and develop because the goalies that may not, you know, goalies that aren't currently playing for your team and are in your system and developing, they're extremely valuable assets because good goalies, consistently good goalies are extremely hard to find and you see a lot of the um, stuff that's being written out there about how goaltending is like goalie development is voodoo and I always laugh at that because it's really not voodoo if you actually just have a structured approach to how you develop those athletes and they're just like any other athlete in any other sport I mean they evolve they adapt um, their environments are changing every day and they are you know a a big part of who they are is being a product of their environment. And so if you can put a goalie in a good environment where they have the proper training and they get along well with their goalie coach and 
they understand that it's a process that does take a lot longer maybe than a forward or a defenseman. There's no reason why guys can't develop and become, you know, great assets for your organization. So even if that goaltender doesn't end up playing a lot of games or winning playoff series or whatever, that's an asset that you can use as trade bait or you can use to bring in assets that you need to fill in other holes in your organization. So you can't kind of just discredit their long-term value and say, oh, well, you know, we just drafted this guy and, you know, he probably never has a chance of playing in the NHL because he's not six foot ten or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a monster. But you still need to be able to invest in their development and understand that this is a future asset because good goalies are tough to find. And that's why it's becoming increasingly important to have the proper coaching, to have the proper approach, and to actually have some kind of structured system and some kind of plan in place instead of just drafting a guy and hoping that he pans out, he or she pans out. I mean, you can't just hope on a wing and a prayer anymore. There's a lot of emerging technology coming out. You know, we all know about the utilization of advanced statistics and big data and analytics. I mean, there's a lot of great content and there's a lot of great resources out there to help organizations and to help NHL teams, you know, create that structure and create that plan and actually have something in place that will benefit the goaltender and put him or her in a better environment to be able to continue that development process and to get to that point where either they do play NHL games or they do have success in that sweater or they're used as an asset to trade to another team that may not have the great environment for goalie development, but then you're able to bring in some other pieces that helps your team in other areas. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple things that you talked about that I want to revisit. One of them is you mentioned drafting goalies just because they're six foot 10. And I think a big thing we (laughs) see nowadays is that if a goalie is below six feet, we kind of automatically feel like, well, I guess even maybe around like six one, we kind of automatically think they won't make it. So how important is it possible for a goalie who is not as tall as say maybe like six three or six two to make it to the next level uh, as to the next level yes um it's all relative to the level that you're discussing so kind of what we're seeing now at the nhl level is the goaltenders not only are they all over six foot four or whatever i mean goalies are getting taller and taller and bigger and bigger but their skill set their ability to skate their ability to track pucks with good vision is also increasing. So the talent pool is getting to a point where you can find guys that are bigger and also move well and track well and react well and have good hip mobility and all the other things that we look at when, you know, drafting a goalie or developing a goalie. So that side of it, I understand why, you know, goalies continue to get drafted at a taller, you know, taller goalies are being drafted because they're also really good athletes as well. But kind of for the minor league levels and, you know, maybe in Europe or, you know, for all the younger goalies that might be listening that are playing at the AAA, Bantam, whatever levels, all the way up to pro, you can be small and you can still have a lot of success. And the reason for that is the importance of skating and edge control and and tracking as well. I mean, we all, you know, the goalie world really understands now the importance of having good eyes and tracking pucks. And so if you have those skills, those will compensate and those will um, help alleviate any issues you may have with size. So size is, when it comes to like net coverage and filling space in the net, I mean, the net is only six by four 
when the puck is directly in the middle of the ice and there's no goalie in the net. As soon as you put a goalie in the net and the puck starts moving around, your size or how much net you're filling is a function of where the puck is on the ice. So when the puck is really close to the net, smaller goalies are huge. They're filling more than enough space to you know kind of cover all of those holes. And so if you're really good with your mobility, you're an extremely good skater, um, you bring some other assets to the table, like you move the puck extremely well, you like to pass and help out your defensemen and kickstart transitions up the ice, or um, you have tremendous work ethic and you make all of your teammates better because you work so hard in practice to stop every single puck, whether you have a chance on it or, or not. And you have these good genetic skills in terms of your natural flexibility and your ability, you, you know, like your sports vision, then those things will make up for size more than you may know. And so it's really important for goalies everywhere and kind of listeners that might be tuning into this that size is really maybe the most important only at the NHL level because obviously having that one to two extra inches and filling a little bit more space really helps because the difference between the best goalie in the NHL and maybe the worst backup in the NHL is very, very slim. Like the margin, the margin and the differences between the top goalies and the, and the backups is smaller than ever before because the training is so good and the athletes are just so darn good. But at all the other levels, guys are growing all the time. And so it's not necessarily, you know, size doesn't become as important because when you understand that, you know, you fill a lot of the net when the puck is in tight. And you can have all of these other skills. You can work all of these other skills and really develop some other aspects of your game. It will kind of eliminate the importance of size. And you're just as effective and you're just as successful, maybe even more so than the guy that might have a similar talent level, but a few inches taller. So there's all these other variables. There's all the others, these other elements that kind of come into play that make an effective goalie. It's not just a function of size anymore. But I will say at the NHL level, it's increasingly important because it's just that little 1% edge that you have on all these other guys that are just as talented. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to kind of understand the difference there when it comes to levels because I've had a few NHL goalie coaches tell me they're not going to draft a guy under 6'2 anymore because not only is everyone else around them drafting taller goalies, but when you draft a goalie at 17 or 18 – Usually it's maybe, what, four or five years until they're actually going to have, like, a good impact or a big impact at the NHL level, unless your guy, like, Andre Vasilevsky or some of these other, you know, premier first-round draft picks. And so within those three or four years, let's say, just on average, the average size of an NHL goalie's probably gone up another one to two inches. So um, size is definitely very important at the NHL level, but for everyone else all over the world and at every other level, it's not nearly as important if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does, and I'm glad that you brought that up because a lot of the players that we focus on are now around, like, age 14 to 20 just because of how low the recruiting rate is going. So we do, like, scout youth goalies. And I, my other question, like, on that front is at what age do you think that teams or, I guess, players should really think about dealing with goalie-specific development and that kind of stuff? Um, I hate to kind of have this cop-out kind of answer, but it completely depends on the individual. I mean, it depends on a lot of different things, but if we want to just be general, um, 
I would say, honestly, for me personally, and there's a lot of different opinions out there and all of them have merit, but for me personally, I honestly don't think a kid needs, like, a full-time goalie coach and needs, like, extremely um, hardcore, intense goalie-specific training until they're maybe 12, 13-ish years old. And so you can, you know, take a year off or add a year to that depending on the maturity of the individual, depending on all those different variables that kind of come into play when you're looking at the individual athlete. And so I would say that's probably one of the other kind of emerging aspects of goalie development is that maybe 10 or 12 years ago, we've kind of gone away from that sort of quote-unquote factory-centered model where every goalie, regardless of their size, regardless of their age, um, regardless of their quote-unquote ability to learn, they would all just kind of go through the same training regimen. They would all do the same drills the same way. They would all be taught the same way. And so the goaltending community has really gotten away from that, which is great, because we understand now that we're kind of getting towards this learner-centered model, which is you treat each goalie individually and you develop them based on their individual needs and their individual abilities to learn. That individualized approach makes that question impossible to answer, but in general terms, I would say really allow your goalies that are under the age of 10, just make sure they're having fun first. I mean, you're wearing a lot of gear that may not feel comfortable. You're falling on your face a lot. You're dealing with a lot of these environmental factors that aren't necessarily conducive to um, having a lot of fun or having a lot of success in goal at those very young ages because it's just such an awkward thing. I mean, you skate differently, all the gear, you know, kids have trouble closing gloves, kids have trouble finding masks that fit properly, and it's a big bulky thing on your head and it's hard to move around and chest protectors are stiff and heavy and big and, um, you know, paddles on goalie sticks for kids at a really young age are always like way too big. Like that's one of the biggest things we see is like, just getting the kids to wear properly fitted gear is an obstacle in and of itself. And so that's why a lot of the literature that's coming out, at least with USA Hockey and at least with, you know, a lot of goalie guys out there that are sharing this information, it's like maybe dial back that goalie-specific training between the ages of 8 and 11 or maybe even 6 and 10 and just allow them to kind of figure things out on their own. Like let them kind of, discover how to use their edges and how to skate like let them learn some of these skills and develop their instincts naturally because there's going to be so much time for them to kind of you know fix some bad habits or get better at skating you know goalie specific skating and develop those goalie specific skills around those ages when they are a little bit older say 12 to 16 and beyond right so it's just it's just making sure that they're having fun making sure that the gear actually fits properly and that they can move with as much mobility as possible and not be encumbered or kind of weighed down by stuff that doesn't even fit them. And so once you get to that point, they have more fun. They have more success at a younger age. They want to be goalies. They don't want to quit after one or two practices because they just get shelled and they can't even move. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? So it's kind of like starting to change where now we start to realize that kids should not only be skating out, um, but they should be involved in a lot of like open free play like quote-unquote free play where they're just out ripping around with their buddies or they're on the pond or they're doing the free skates. Mm -hmm. And even though they may not look very good and their technique is nowhere close to even being polished, like that's absolutely okay. Because when they do get that goalie-specific training at a little bit of an older age, 
they're able to fix those things. And now they have a lot of good intuitive skills. They understand where they're at. They have more body awareness. They have more self-awareness. That's what I would say, like, maybe in between the ages of 11, 13, or 12, and 14, that's when I think kids are more dialed in and ready to start that goalie-specific training. Mm-hmm. So a little bit, I don't know, not sure why, but a little bit of what you're talking about reminded me that there's, it's not really a debate anymore, but now we kind of emphasize that, you know, children or like younger players should specialize in small area games versus open ice. And I'm curious if there's anything remotely like that in terms of like goalies at a youth age. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing in the goalie world is, um, and it's kind of the same thing we just talked about, and I don't know about small area games versus large area games. I mean, I would say small area games are going to be very successful for, like, team-based hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so goaltenders are, you know, obviously a big part of that. And so I'm sure it's good for them, too, at the younger levels because they are getting more touches, they're getting more shots. And you can debate about that. You can kind of, It's a great discussion to have. But I think the biggest thing in terms of actual specific goalies is, again, not trying to teach really advanced techniques and really complicated skills to goalies that still don't have um, the awareness yet. Mm-hmm. And so you, you hear this term a lot, like, quote-unquote, robotic goalies. And nobody wants to have robotic goalies, yet we see them time and time again. We're seeing, you know, robotic movements and robotic goalies at these younger ages because there's a lot of goalie coaches out there that feel like they have to teach kids at an extremely young age how to do things that NHL goalies are doing. And so the problem with this becomes is, first of all, goaltending is such a um, mental game. I mean, we hear that all the time, and it's not necessarily like the emotional side of it, like quote-unquote mental toughness is the fact that there's a lot of cognitive processes going on at the same time and your brain is really working hard to kind of process not only like what the puck is doing on the ice but what all the players are doing on the ice and how you position yourself in the crease depending on what the puck is doing and how the plays are developing so there's like all these really complex cognitive processes going on in your mind and you are kind of on an island there in the crease like there's no one there to tell you oh move here like oh you need to be over here and players kind of get that advantage because they go to the bench every 30 seconds and they get a coach kind of talking in their ear like giving them some instant feedback and then they're able to make those adjustments when they go back on for the next shift but for goalies like there's no microphones in their headset or sorry there's no microphones in their helmet getting feedback from the goalie coach like telling them where they need to be on the ice you kind of have to figure it out for yourself and so if you try to teach these really complicated and advanced techniques and movements to goalies that are at a really young age then they'll start to execute those techniques without really thinking about the why or the when or or the situation mm-hmm. and so they don't really develop the situational awareness they just develop the ability to listen to direction and do what your goalie coach tells you to do because that's the way you should do it and so we're starting to see a lack of creativity in our youngest athletes because and that's where the robotic quote-unquote term comes from because they're just listening to direction they're not really getting a good understanding of why they should be doing these techniques or when they should be doing these techniques or how the technique should look depending on what my body can or cannot do. And because this has kind of been happening, 
you know, over the last 10, 12 years or whatever, that's why we have this issue of robotic young goalies. That's why we have this issue of goalies that are having hip surgeries at an increasingly younger age. And why we see this kind of automatic response to um, situations on the ice. So instead of actually reading the play and kind of digesting it with your instincts, like what you should do and when you should do it and why, goalies are just automatically doing the reverse VH or um, getting into these really complex post-integration stances without really understanding why they're doing it. And it's really difficult to get a lot of the goalie coaches out there to understand, but that's part of the education process that, like, USA Hockey and a lot of these national development programs are doing. We're educating the head coaches and maybe the quote-unquote amateur goalie coaches and volunteer coaches to understand that they can't just teach the latest and greatest technique to an 8- or a 9-year-old kid because that kid doesn't yet have a good understanding of why he's doing it or when he should be doing it or exactly how he or she should be doing it depending on the situation. They're just doing it because their goalie coach tells them that's what you do and that's what they see on TV. So there's a lot of barriers that kind of come into play because of the complex nature of the position, but that's kind of the biggest battle I think we face now in terms of like overall goalie development. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. It reminds me of being in math class as a kid and then making sure they explain to us why we're using a certain formula for a certain problem instead of just giving us the thing and making us do it. Yeah, yeah, and I think this type of issue, you probably see it with forwards, you probably see it with defensemen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in all walks of life and in all areas of sport. And I think, again, you look, like me personally, I've kind of learned a lot of, over the past few years about how an education system, like a national education system, say a country like the United States, actually does have a real, there is a correlation between education systems and school and how athletes develop. And, I mean, look at a country like Finland, for example, that has the best education in the world, hands down. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that there's also a lot of extremely good Finnish goalies. I think there's a, cor- a correlation. I Like, I have no, like, science um, <laughs> to, kind of, to kind of back this up. It's just something that i kind of been thinking about a lot over the past couple of years and have been reading different books and, you know, discussing these things openly with different goalie coaches is, like, I think there's a correlation between how kids are educated in school and then how that education, that learning gets applied in the different sports that they're playing or the different things that they're doing away from school. And so, again, it kind of goes back to getting away from that sort of industrial-centered school model that's been around since the you know, Industrial Revolution and getting to that idea of a learner-centered model where there's individualization, there's personalization, and there's learner agency, which means, you know, the young athlete, him or herself, actually plays a role in how they develop. And now it's not just a function of some guy telling you, do this, do that, move here, move there. But instead, the goalie starts to learn for himself and use, you know, their creativity to kind of say, oh, well, I think I should be doing this because of this reason. And there's actually more communication going on. And that is why, you know, you look at it, the goalie coaching position is extremely important because there's dialogue, there's relationship going on that allows the goalie to kind of figure out for themselves, you know, how they should be training certain skills or what certain skills they need to work on in order to make them better instead of just being told what to do all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I used to teach and I taught in Montessori and it's kind of the same concept where you – 
enable the children to kind of learn at their own pace and pick their own work and like the purpose of that is so that it'll spill out into their everyday lives so they they know how to interact in social situations or they can take care of things on their own so that correlation between how you learn and how that it kind of goes into athletics actually does make a lot of sense to me so yeah yeah and I, I think it's awesome that you brought up kind of Montessori school I you know I went to a Montessori school as well when I was growing up in Texas and um, absolutely exactly what you said, like creativity, not necessarily as like an artistic function, but just as like a process um, and allowing kids to kind of figure out things on their own and discover for themselves, like how to use their inside edges or how to butterfly slide or, you know, how to catch pucks cleanly or use their stick, you know, to make poke saves and, and or poke checks and things like that. I mean, those are skills that you don't always have to teach. Mm-hmm. Goalies are going to kind of figure those things out on their own. And when they figure it out on their own, they do instinctively understand the where, the when, and the why, and the how. And mm-hmm. if you're just always telling a goalie exactly what to do without them kind of figuring it out on their own, I mean, what happens when the goalie coach isn't there or they are in a game and, you know, the structure of a game breaks down and the puck hits a defenseman's skate and something crazy happens, like, they don't really know how to handle that in the moment. They don't have the creativity skills to kind of figure it out or the intuition to kind of figure it out and come up with a solution for what just happened in that moment in that game. And so, again, I think, you know, your experience teaching, you kind of see that and you probably understand it on a much deeper level than maybe a lot of the goalie coaches out there because they don't have that kind of um, teaching background. They just... You know, maybe they played a couple years of hockey and they want to go out and coach, which is totally fine. But that's why, as a country, here in the United States, it's so extremely important to educate the head hockey coaches Mm -hmm. or educate the minor hockey coaches and get them to understand the value of just kind of stepping back a little bit, do a little bit less talking and a little bit more observing, and just observe kids for a few years, make sure they're having fun, make sure all those different elements of the environment that they're in are as positive or as healthy as possible so that the kid has that great environment and can flourish instead of just kind of burning out or being in a situation where they have no opportunity to kind of figure things out on their own. Like there have been a few instances of players in college hockey who've left either to go back to juniors or to go to major juniors because they're not getting the playing time. And I know with players and like, so position specific, like forwards and defensemen, it's a little bit more important for them at that age to be practicing than to be playing games. Um, and I'm curious, like for goalies, is it better to be practicing at that age or to be playing and getting a lot of like seeing a lot of shots on the ice? Yeah, I'm going to cop out and say, again, it depends on it depends on the individual, and that's, like, kind of the caveat for all these, all these questions. And I think, again, a lot of it will depend on your environment. Um, so you have to kind of look at the different elements that go into that goaltender-specific environment. I wouldn't want to practice on my own if I could go to another club and play more games but also have a better coaching environment as well Mm -hmm. so one of the problems with NCAA hockey is that goalie coaches are are mostly volunteers Mm -hmm. which means they're not being paid a salary which means they're not really on the ice with their goalie every day in major junior you can pay goalie coaches or you can contract the workout and so not only are you playing 
double the amount of games, but you're also probably spending double the amount of time with goalie coaches mm-hmm. or with a goalie coach. And so I think that's the first kind of distinguishment to make is like, it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray areas. And that's probably the first thing that comes into play is if that goalie wants to move from college to major junior, maybe the first thing I would look at as, as like a scout or, you know, as someone who's evaluating talent is what are the environmental factors coming into play when making this decision? College schedules are obviously not as grueling or as um, extensive as major junior. So major junior, you're on the bus, you're traveling from town to town. You've got the late, you know, that's a completely different environment than living on a campus, going to classes all day, having your practice, but you're only playing Fridays and uh, Fridays and Saturdays. And then you have Sunday off. And during that whole week, depending on what program you're in, you know, some programs have extremely great goalie coaches that are just unreal at what they do. And those goalies really flourish and love being in that environment because they do have that support system and that's great for their environment. And they absolutely love kind of the challenge of balancing their schoolwork and their education with also performing at the highest level possible so that they can kind of make that jump to professional hockey. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you have to start understanding the importance of the environment that you're in and organizations have to understand how important it is to create that positive environment. And goaltenders are, I mean, as much as you want to individualize the development and individualize the position, at the end of the day, many goalies are only as good as their team. It doesn't matter how talented they are. If they're in front of a quote-unquote crappy defensive team, they're not going to put up good statistics. They're not going to get the looks that other goalies are getting. They're not going to get the opportunity to be drafted or play at a professional level. But if you're well-insulated on a good defensive team, even if you're playing way less games, but you're at a Division One program that's got a great goalie coach and you still see him regularly enough to where you feel good and you put up good numbers, you know, all of a sudden that college freshman um, is getting invites to development camps because he's putting up good numbers and, and he's in that good environment. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what goalies who have to make these tough decisions really struggle with. It's like you never really know how your environment is going to change when you move to a different program, but you go and you visit and you talk and you have discussions with coaching staff and you look at all your options and you're basically just creating that list of pros and cons for everything that's going on on both sides of the coin on, you know, do I stay or do I go? Um, And even beyond that, your environment is constantly changing with all these different variables. So it's just, it's, it becomes extremely an extremely tough decision for the kids to make and there's a lot of different things that come into play and everyone's kind of got their hierarchy of what really matters and what doesn't matter so much Mm -hmm. and so I think at the end of the day one of the things that matters the most for these kids is like they want to play like goalies want to play and even though we understand the importance of practice habits and understanding like you hear this phrase all the time in the goalie world like trust the process so even if you're sitting on the bench because the other goalie's getting the opportunity, like you have to trust that you're going to get your opportunity. You have to trust that you know your practice habits will pay off. And you have to trust that even if you play three games a year and the other guy's playing 36 or 37, you know next season you may have a chance because that other guy's graduating or transferring to another school, or maybe he is getting plucked by an NHL team and he's going to play pro. I think first and foremost it's like 
how many games do you have an opportunity to play? 99% of goalies would say they'd much rather like play more games because that's when you develop the confidence. That's when you develop your ability to go out and perform at a higher level. That's how you kind of evolve your mental game and your preparation skills is by actually just getting in the crease and playing games and getting a chance to win. So that's why a lot of goalies do kind of get into the situation where they're in a school where they've recruited some goalies or one goalie just gets hot and the coach is really focused on playing his guy and playing the older guy because he's doing well. And then all of a sudden the season's over and you've played like two games and you just lost a whole year of of your college career. So there are a couple of things that you kind of mentioned. I wanted to piggyback off of them. Uh, One of them is how difficult is it to predict how good of a future a goalie will have? So let's say maybe even like a couple years down the road from where the goalie is currently. Um, Depending on age, obviously, it's extremely, extremely difficult. And the year I spent with the national team development program with USA Hockey was an awesome experience, but a really tough challenge because, you know, I was being asked to evaluate 15-year-olds 15 slash 16 year olds and kind of estimate if they're going to be a high draft pick or not. And so again, because there's so many variables that come into play and because goaltending is such a lengthy development process, um, you can have the best eye for the position possible and you can really be good at picking out the finer details and technique and skill. And all of a sudden, that goalie decides to quit hockey a year later because he's going through personal issues. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so statistics really shed very little light on a goalie's ability or, like, projecting a goalie's upside at those ages. Statistics give a very slim window into upsider potential. But what does give you a really good glimpse into what they may become is their ability to learn. So that's why I've really focused the last couple of years on researching like learning habits and how individuals learn. And then the other part is kind of their kind of their environmental surroundings. So like, what kind of friends does the guy have? What kind of preparation habits does he or she have? What kind of food is he or she eating? What kind of time, you know, time commitments is he or she putting into um, training and doing these things off the ice and working on their eye-hand coordination? It's not necessarily just a function of what they're doing on the ice. It's all the other things that go into how they do perform when they get into the crease. And so, again, the environment that you're in and the environment that you create for yourself or kind of the environment that you're um, growing up in has a huge impact on all those different elements and that's why when it comes to scouting goalies at those ages you're not just like of course you're looking at what they're doing on the ice and their technique and stats do come into play and save percentage and stuff like that but that's a very small slice of the pie Mm -hmm. compared to all the other things that come into play like kids can't really control how their parents treat them but I'm always kind of paying attention to the parents and how they treat their child and how are they really hands-on and really involved in their development? Are they asking goalie coaches, you know, that kid's goalie coach a million questions and kind of riding the goalie coach and watching right behind the crease and, like, cheering every time they make a save and, like, slamming on the glass every time they give up a goal? Or are they very hands-off and just, like, very loose and, like, 
you know, supportive of their kid, but just kind of letting their kid figure it out for themselves. You know what I mean? And so, like, that's just one tiny little element that goes into the goalie's environment, like their surroundings, how they're developing, and how they kind of grow up. Um, and even on a more scientific level, like, there's a lot of correlations out there between the size of the parents and the size of the goalie. So if the parents are monstrous, and this 14-year-old kid whose body and bone structure is still growing, well, there's some things that you can do to kind of see maybe and, and kind of predict how tall that goalie is actually going to be. And so with this all this emerging science and all this emerging sports technology, like even that's becoming a little bit bigger of the slice of pie in terms of how we evaluate talent and how we predict upside. There's still a lot of things that we just don't know. You know, I'll just give you one perfect example, like, now we understand the importance of having good eyesight for goalies, right? Like, if you can track the puck, if you can track the way the puck comes off the stick blade, if you can discern a lot of the things that shooters are doing with their wrists and their hands and their stick blade angle and all these different pieces of information that come off of reading a shot release and making a save, then that's something that you really want to evaluate in younger goalies. But even if that goalie comes to you and says, oh, I have 20-20 vision, well, that doesn't really tell me much about, like, his visual acuity system. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'm really surprised of, and I know this is going to change as years go on, but, like, when goalies go in, into a scouting combine, they're doing all these things that really have nothing to do with their goaltending ability. If you could go get a goalie's vision tested, and not just to see if they have 20-20 vision, but to see, like, how the eyes work together, if they have blurry vision, if they're able to, like, kind of use their eyes to track pucks laterally, Like, are they good at tracking stuff coming in towards their body? Are they good at tracking stuff going away from their body? There's all these different skills that kind of make up the visual acuity system. And now we're starting to actually evaluate that in goalies, whereas maybe five years ago, we never did that. So now one of the things that, like, we're preaching or educating goalies on is, like, go get your vision tested, whether you're 12 years old and you're just starting to get really committed to the position or you're 18 and you've got a chance to get drafted by an NHL team. Like, go get your vision tested Go see where your deficiencies are, figure out where your strengths and weaknesses lie, and use that as an asset to improve your training regimen or to improve your preparation skills. Maybe one day, I don't know, I would love to see this happen, but I'd lo- love to see like an actual goalie-specific combine where they actually test goalie-specific things, not just the same stuff that they you know, check for defensemen and for- or they test on forwards and defensemen. Another question that I kind of wanted to ask was, are there any dangers of having kids be over-resilient on the butterfly technique? Like, does it hinder their development of other parts of their game, or can it mess up their hips and knees? Um, There's a lot of research starting to come out that shows that goalies are butterflying way too much in practices. And one of the things that we're starting to teach goalies now, and we're hoping kind of becomes more a part of the culture, is to just make saves on your skates. And making more saves on your skates, especially in team practices, because team practices are notoriously terrible for um, goalies, because they're doing drills that are not really game or shot specific to what goalies actually see in games. So teaching goalies that it's okay to stand up on shots and make saves on your feet, not only does it limit the number of times that your hips are internally rotating, but it's going to take away some of that wear and tear that's completely unnecessary. And, of course, it's a big part of the game now. Um, It's a movement that you're seeing over and over and over again. But the influx of younger goalies having surgeries at younger ages is extremely alarming. And um, there's actually a 
study going on in Sweden right now with all the with like the Swedish national development program and their goalies, and they're actually doing a study where they're looking at how many goalies are actually dealing with quote unquote hip pain and hip issues, and it's very early in the study. Um, I think it's only one year in, but from what I was told and what was kind of shared in Nashville at the Network Goaltending Symposium was that it is an issue and there is a problem and a lot of goalies are dealing with hip issues. And while it may not be causing them to miss games, it's something that they're being forced to push through throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I think will start to happen and one of the new statistics, quote-unquote statistics or new data pieces that we'll see in the goaltending world is the number of times the goalie is actually dropping in a practice or a game. And I don't think there's a number out there where you go into a goalie and you say, okay, you're only allowed to drop 80 times into the butterfly. It's not like that. It's okay. If I'm a goalie coach, what drills am I implementing in practice? And what are some of the things that I can do to change the number of times that a goalie is dropping? Because there are a lot of benefits to, kind of allowing a goalie to make saves on escapes. For one, it works on their patience. It helps work on their tracking, okay? Because you can work on your hand your hand skills, your blocker and your glove skills without butterflying at all. Like, just stand on your feet and make the save on your feet. It's so much easier on your body, and you're still working your eye-hand coordination, and you're still working on your hands, which is extremely important. But when you're just automatically butterflying on shots from the chest up, when you don't necessarily have to, I mean, you're just grinding away at your hips and that ball and, so- ball and joint socket when you don't have to. And games are definitely different because you're going to automatically go out there and respond and do the things that you naturally do. But if we can start to eliminate some of that wear and tear in practices because goalies do practice so hard, and not only do they have team practices where they're butterflying 150 to 200 times in a 60-minute practice, but then they have the goalie-specific practices on top of that where they're doing it even more. And so, again, it goes back to the whole idea of the environment and how can we improve the environment to help goalies that may have maybe dealing with hip issues or may not have the hip flexibility or the agility of another guy. So if you're limited in your range of motion, what can we do to help stave that off or to help reverse or um, prehab those hips in order to function better and to function with less physical pain? Does that make sense? And so being able to actually track that, I think, is kind of the first step. Um, and Sweden has done that. Like, they've actually they've actually collected the data from all the pro goalies in Sweden, and they've said, okay, we understand that, yes, one, this is a problem. Like, too many goalies are dealing with hip issues or labor issues or um, pain in that area of their body. And now the second thing is, what can we do to kind of change this? So speaking of Sweden, and I know you've mentioned you love talking to international goalie coaches, is there one piece of, or like maybe a couple of pieces of goalie development wisdom that you've learned from a coach from a different country? There's a ton. I mean, I wrote a whole book on like goalie development in Sweden and Finland and, and Canada and USA. And one of the biggest things, and it's so simple, but that's one of the things that makes Um, Sweden and Finland so successful as a goalie development country is, you know, the head of Swedish goaltending development, his name is Tomas Magnusson. Um, You know, he's he's kind of the one who, he's considered like, we call him the godfather of Swedish goaltending because he's the one that created their national development program like 15, 16 years ago. Um, He came up with this 
I mean, he just said it so bluntly, and it just kind of like was like an aha moment. But he said, "There's many styles as there are goalies," mm-hmm. and it sounds really obvious. But then again, when you're someone like myself who's going on this incredible learning journey and kind of learning about goalie development all over the world, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you're going to see similarities and differences in all the different countries. But at the end of the day, there are as many styles as there are goalies, which means it goes back to that personalized and individualized approach. Every single goalie that you work with is going to have their own style. And as a coach, you have to be willing to put in the time to discover that and learn what that style is and what makes them unique so that you can make them better and so that they can become better versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you automatically assume that all goalies in Sweden are the same, or they all look the same, not only are you doing yourself a disservice and you kind of close your mind off from all these possibilities, but you're just categorizing guys by country and you can't do that because there are as many styles as there are goalies. And that's part of the, um, that's part of the fun of, you know, doing what I do and, and going to all these different places. So we talked about a few of them, but are there any really prevalent myths about goalie development that you can think of off the top of your head? that you can debunk? Um, well, the biggest myth, I think, would be, like, your kid has to be a goalie and have a goalie coach at age six. <laughs> um, early specialization, a lot of guys kind of understand that, but I think that's still a big myth out there, that, like, goalies have to be, like, going to elite goalie camps and working with elite goalie coaches at age six. Like, no. Um <laughs> This one's very goalie-specific, but there's something out there called, like, extreme step steal, which is basically, like, a taller skate blade, so that goalies can kind of, not only do they, are they taller, like, generally, so they're, like, an inch taller in the crease, but they can also get this much wider stance and kind of be able to push laterally with a wider stance. Um, Please, if you're under the age of, 10 or 11 or 12 do not wear extreme step steel it doesn't matter if you're one inch taller at that age because nobody cares um learn how to use the mechanic like learn the body movements and learn the mechanics on how to butterfly slide and laterally slide and laterally adjust with your own body don't rely on extreme step steel to do it because it's putting more torque on your knees it's putting more pressure on your ankles and it's going to do more damage than it does good So get away from trying to be the tallest kid out there. You're 8 or 10 or 11 years old. Just wear regular steel, wear regular skates, and focus on the mechanics and the movements and the process. Don't focus on being one inch taller or having this super wide butterfly flare. We're at this stage now where we want goalies to be able to play the position well into their 30s. Um, I'm 36, and I'm still extremely, like, I've got good hips and good knees and good back, and I can play well into my 40s and I want kids everywhere to be able to do that and so I think it's also extremely important to debunk the myth that like goalie specific training is all you do so please go out and play other sports like try golf try ping pong try um, racquetball play basketball because all of the skills in those different sports are translatable and their skill transference to goaltending mm-hmm. and that's going to make you more well-rounded as an athlete. It's going to improve your ability to think the game. You're going to be more creative with the skills that you need to stop pucks. And you're not going to get burned out on goaltending by the time you're 14. 
my last question for you is obviously we talked about size and because that's not really a skill I'm going to leave it out of this outside of size what would you say are the top three skills needed to succeed at a high level for goalies skating by far and away skating being able mm-hmm. to use your inside edges um, when the game puts you in a bad situation and you over rotate or um, a forward crashes into you and you get spun around being able to use your inside edges and adapt you know use adaptive skating or using your skating ability to get back into position is and just basic fundamental skating is probably one of the most important skills uh, we talked on this but vision uh, extremely important skill and the more you learn about how the eyes are actually a muscle group and you can build the muscles in your eyes to perform better and reading puck, you know reading shot releases and doing all the things that your vision kind of depends on as a goalie becoming more and more important as as the game evolves and as hockey evolves and the third one is not necessarily a physical skill but learning ability Mm-hmm. I think it's becoming extremely important because the game is becoming more complex. Um, there are new techniques coming out every day, and your ability to learn new things and listen to different voices and not only absorb what they say, but actually be able to learn it and implement it um, is a huge skill for goaltenders because, especially in the United States, there are goalies out there that play for six different clubs in six different years. And you're going to have a lot of different voices. You're going to have a lot of different guys explaining a lot of different ways of basically doing the same thing, which is get into position, set your feet, and make the save. And with the influx of the new technologies and the new terminology that's out there, being able to learn and being a good learner and being a good listener is not a skill that you use on the ice, but is extremely important for goalie's development. Mm-hmm. And actually, the one thing we didn't talk about is the mental side of things. And I've talked to a lot of goalies, so a lot of what they say is half of it is mental and, like, how you bounce back from letting in a bad goal or having a bad game. So what kind of work – I think – I know you wrote a book about kind of advice from NHLers, but what other work have you done, I guess, on the mental side of things? And, like, what advice would you have for young goalies kind of struggling to adapt on that side? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the work that I've done, I've just spent a lot of time learning from all kinds of different guys, whether they're um, mental training experts or, you know, for example, there's this unbelievable guy named Ted Monick who lives out east and is a mental conditioning coach, but he's also a goalie coach. And he spent the last 10 years of his life earning a master's degree and a PhD in mental training and, you know, sports psychology. And so... He's done some amazing research that's extremely valuable to the goaltending community on the importance of meditation for goalies and mindfulness for goalies. Because what happens is anxiety is very prevalent in goaltending. And after a game, you can be so anxious and you can expend so much energy that it can be really difficult to go to sleep after a game. And we see this with forwards and defensemen as well. We see this with all hockey players. Like, you get so wound up and you're on such an adrenaline rush for that, for the length of that game, that kind of winding down your mind and your body is extremely difficult. You don't get a lot of sleep after games, and then you're up early the next morning or you're on the bus all night. And so 
ended this study with a couple of pro goalies where he actually did guided meditation over the course of the whole season. And because that goalie did guided meditation, they were getting to sleep earlier, they were getting better sleep, and their performance was much better because of the better sleep patterns that they had and because they kind of implemented this mindfulness into their training regime and into their preparation and into their entire, um, into their you know entire repertoire. So that is something that has to go like that plays a role in the quote unquote mental game. Um, that is actually science based. So you know he has the analytics and he has the science to back up the study and all the results to back it up. And that was part of his. I think thesis for one of his one of his school pro- programs, and again, it's that world of emerging science and also the mindfulness that has such a huge impact. And you can also look at things like yoga, the importance of doing yoga, breathing habits. Um, I think is going to become a huge aspect of quote unquote the mental game. And even though it's scientific based, it's like you talk to a lot of goalies out there and they're ripping around the ice. They're not even breathing at all. They're just always holding their breath. They're always so tense and so tight because there's so much pressure on a goalie there's so much anxiety going into the position and you have to be so good all the time and so i think when it comes to the mental game it's not just about the emotional side like bouncing back from bad games and you know we see brayden holby you know like tracking the water droplets after giving up a goal um there's definitely that aspect of being a resilient athlete and a resilient competitor that has a huge impact on the goalie's ability to succeed and kind of grind it out and push through the tough times. But there's also the emerging science of mindfulness and how we can get our brains and our minds into this quote-unquote flow state that allows us to go out and perform without thinking. We're just relying on our instincts and we're performing so much better because it's a thoughtless act. It's a thoughtless performance. Thank you again to Justin for providing that amazing insight. I found it very insightful, and I hope that the rest of you were able to take away at least a few pieces here and there of how to improve the goalies you know in your lives, whether they're your children or a player that you coach, or even if you're just a fan and you want to understand a little bit more about what goes into this position. Um, As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, please let us know. Um, And if you have any topic suggestions, we're more than happy to hear them. So definitely reach out about that. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it and I will talk to you soon.